Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is David Kelly. Uh, I'm an elder here at the church, and today we're going to be opening up the Word of God together. Um, I want to start off just by saying Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, I know it's tonight technically, uh, but I'm probably not going to see all of you, kind of like Mike was saying. Um, and, and if I do, then that's awesome. But if not, enjoy your New Year. And, and when it comes to New Year's, a lot of times I think we think of things like New Year's resolutions, right? How many of you guys have made a New Year's resolution in the past? I've definitely done it. Um, I'm not saying I kept it. Uh, I'm not saying I didn't try. Um, some of them maybe I didn't try very hard. But it's always like, oh, I want to lose some weight, or oh, I want to like, do this thing, set a goal and work toward it um, throughout the year. And I think that's a good thing. And a lot of times I think we, we promise ourselves things, right? And, and I think promises and the new year kind of fit together thematically. Like we start the year off and we're like, we're going to start fresh, right? Maybe that's the first thing we promise ourselves. We're going to start fresh. We're going to kind of let go of the old things, move forward, right? And, and we set these promises in our heads of like goals we want to accomplish or things we're trying to do. We want to lose some weight, want to change our diet, want to, you know, uh, you know get that promotion or, or whatever it is. And, and I think um, when I think of promises this time of year, it, it's always like on my heart. And I always end up turning to the promises of God, right? Because that's encouraging to me. When I think of my New Year's resolutions, I'm maybe a little less encouraged. When I think of God's promises, though, I find myself refreshed and definitely encouraged. And we've, we talk a lot, of, a lot about it already because of Christmas, right? Because Jesus was a promised Messiah. And, and uh, there's all these promises in the Old Testament that came to fruition with Christmas, uh, the Christmas season. And, and so I just want to think a little bit about promises and these things that, that God has done. And uh, this time of year and, and this, this day, I want to take some time and look at um, a promised hero. Um, the, prophets, the prophets foretold of his coming, right? It, it was a miraculous birth. Angels announced he was coming. He had many disciples. Most of them abandoned him. And he died unjustly. And I know, I know we're all thinking about this this season. Um, and, and who are we thinking about? John the Baptist. Oh, wait, what? You thought you were thinking Jesus, right? But, but John the Baptist, all those things are true about John the Baptist. Let's just, Malachi and Isaiah foretold his coming. Uh, it was a miraculous birth. In fact, um, his mother was, was probably in her 80s, guys. Um, angels appeared to John's father before he was born. He had many disciples, including Andrew, who became a follower of Jesus and one of the apostles. Most of his disciples abandoned him for Jesus. And he died unjustly. He was beheaded by Roman captives. And I think, and, and rightly so, John the Baptist is often overshadowed by Jesus. In fact, that was kind of what he said. He actually said at one point, I must decrease so that he might increase. He's like, listen, guys, I recognize that my role is this temporary getting like less credit over time as Jesus steps into the picture. But John the Baptist was this unique guy. He was the guy who, when he saw Jesus, said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, when the other disciples saw Jesus, they, they thought he was a great teacher. They, they thought he was Messiah, and, and they were right. 
But John the Baptist literally understood from very early on in Jesus' ministry, before Jesus really got out there, that Jesus was the Lamb of God, meaning the sacrifice of God to take away the sins of the world. And I think, I think it's, it's a good idea this season, not just to think about Jesus, and, and obviously that should be a focus point, but to think about all these promises that brought John the Baptist onto the scene. See, John the Baptist has quite a story. And, and, and if you look at what Jesus said about John the Baptist, let's just start there, right? So in Matthew 11, Jesus is talking. It says, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John, meaning John the Baptist. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. When speaking about John the Baptist, Jesus said he was more than a prophet. Now in Israel, a prophet was the person who delivered the word of God. A prophet was somebody who did miracles on God's behalf in order to authenticate the message he was bringing. And, and here Jesus says John the Baptist was more than a prophet. But it's interesting, we don't have any recorded miracles by John the Baptist in the scriptures. Greater than a prophet but didn't do miracles. What is that all about? Well, let's look. He says that he's more than a prophet. And I really do think, if you look in Matthew chapter 11, uh, in verse 10, it says, this is the next verse. It says, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. In Malachi 3.1, it says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Jesus is referencing Malachi here. And he's basically saying, this John the Baptist, this guy who's greater than the prophets, the reason he's greater than the prophets is because he's fulfilling this particular passage of Scripture. Is God in the Old Testament, Mal using Malachi, said, John the Baptist is coming? It's really interesting because in Matthew 11.10, Jesus says, Who will prepare your way before you? And the words in Malachi chapter 3 are prepare the way before me. It's more personal, right? And, and God is talking in Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. He will prepare the way before I arrive. Jesus, in Matthew 11 right here, this is of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, that he will prepare your way before you. So there's these two implications of this preparation. There's the preparation of us for us, for our way, moving forward, and this preparation before God comes of preparing the way before him. And it's talking about the same things. It's talking about preparing the hearts of men. If we look in Malachi chapter 3, the, the whole passage, if you, if you look at it, and we're not going to go through everything today. There's way too much passages of scripture here to, to be jumping through. And I just want to, the king will be announced by a herald. That's John the Baptist. That's what Jesus is referencing, that verse where it says he will prepare the way before I come. And then the king comes unexpectedly. That's what Malachi says is going to happen. The king's going to come to the temple unexpectedly, which is interesting because they knew the Messiah was coming, they knew the king was coming, and yet he shows up unexpectedly. It says that the king will refine his people with fire. 
And the imagery that it uses in Malachi chapter 3 is this idea of refining metals and like getting the impurities out. So the king will come, refine his people with fire, getting the impurities out, separating the faithful from the unfaithful, if you will. And then it talks about how if people are not fearing God when he comes, there will be judgment. I think that all these things are applicable to us today, aren't they? Is Jesus coming back? Do we know when? Is he coming to refine his people, to separate the faithful from the unfaithful? Those who don't know him, do they not have fear of judgment? What's happening in Malachi chapter 3, what Jesus is referencing in Matthew chapter 11, what, what John the Baptist's role was, was to prepare the way for the king. As we continue in Matthew 11, more than a prophet, he had just said, this is who, Jesus, this is who John the Baptist is. He, he's fulfilling this passage from Malachi chapter 3. This is what Jesus says. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus sets John the Baptist up as a guy fulfilling these prophecies of a forerunner, a herald who comes before the king. Now we know Jesus is the king, right? John the Baptist comes before the king to prepare the way. And then Jesus tries to explain that John is Elijah. What in the world is that all about? Well, let's look at Elijah real quick. And again, I'm not going to go through all the passages. You're welcome to, to look these things up. But Elijah, traditionally in the Jewish culture, like if you go to a Jewish person's house today, there are traditions that they hold, and they talk about Elijah in their home. Okay, one of the things is that he is viewed as one of the greatest prophets. This was actually in contention for a really long time in the Jewish community because uh, Elijah had ups and downs. And, and on his downs, he kind of wanted to die. And on his ups, he was like calling down fire from heaven, right? At the very end of his life, he gets taken away by a chariot of fire into heaven, right? There are Jewish scholars who still believe he never died. So when they talk about Elijah, they consider him one of the greats of the Jewish faith. He came into a situation where all of Israel was turning away from God, and as a prophet, he came down, did miracles, preached the truth. He literally made it not rain for years. He did all this crazy stuff like calling fire down from heaven, and the people turned back to God. Like he was successful, if you will, in his mission. Another tradition is that during Passover... Elijah is a subject of conversation, and they actually, most Jewish families will set an extra place setting at their table, send their youngest kid to the front door before they eat the meal to open the door and see if Elijah is there. Now you're like, what? They want to know if Elijah is there? You see, they believe traditionally that Elijah is going to come to herald the Messiah, I'm not kidding. They believe to this day that Elijah is going to show up at someone's house on Passover 
And that would be like a marker of the Messiah is coming. And so traditionally, they literally make a place for him because that'd be embarrassing if he showed up and you didn't have a place for him. And, and they send a child to the door to open the door just to check. And if some dude shows up that day, some homeless guy, some mailman knocking on that door on Passover, they might freak out. <laughs> they might be like, come on in, Elijah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man, I'm just Amazon delivery guy. Um, I couldn't find the right address. Uh, can you imagine? No, but they really, traditionally, Elijah is really important to the Jewish people in regards to the coming king, in regards to the coming Messiah. So when he says that he's Elijah, when it comes to his mission, like he confronted the sins of the people and Elijah called them to repent and turn back to God. Now I want you to think about John the Baptist. What was his message? The same thing. He confronted the sins of the people and he called them to repent. You see, I think Jesus is making this connection between John the Baptist's mission before the Messiah arrives to, to fulfill his ministry on earth with preparing the hearts of men by calling them to repent and to turn back to God. That's what John the Baptist did the whole time. In fact, we can actually read about it. Now, we're reading in Matthew 3 now. This is Matthew talking about John the Baptist. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. I've heard people ask about the baptism of John. Uh, at times in scripture it's referenced and, and this is what it was. People were coming out to John hearing his teaching and confessing their sins. Like that's what John's mission was about. If we keep on going in Matthew 3, uh, the reference is wrong, it's actually 7 through 10 here. Uh, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him, his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming, the wrath that is to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our fathers. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John's message brought people, they were confessing their sins. And then what is he saying when the religious leaders show up? Remember these religious leaders? What did they do to Jesus? Were they on Jesus' team? No, most of them weren't. When Jesus went to the temple, what did he do when he saw them ripping people off and abusing their relationship with them? He, he flipped tables, right? These are the religious leaders who are coming out to John and saying like, hey, baptize me. Like, we're on board. The people should be turning back to God. And he's like, who warned you? You're the worst of them. You're the worst. You're going to confess? your sins and get baptized. Listen, keep, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, guys. You see, a lot of times I think when we repent of sins, it's like a one and done in our heads. We're like, okay, I repented, I'm done. No, we need to keep with repentance. There's a striving that happens here. There's effort that goes into it. There's a goals in mind. Lord, I don't want to do this thing anymore. Now, we recognize that we can't change ourselves. We can't get rid of our sin nature. Sin is going to be at the door. Temptation is going to be there. 
but we are responsible to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We're trying to like strive. We're aiming for repentance. We're aiming for living a repentant life. I had a, a wise man I was talking with one time because I was really discouraged. You know, I kept falling into sin and, and I kept struggling and I kept failing. I would lose my temper or I would, I would mislead somebody and, and not correct it. And he said, Dave, the goal isn't that you don't sin. And I was like, whoa, 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 isn't the goal that we don't sin? He's like, yes, but no. He's like, will you ever stop being a sinner? I said, no. So you're going to sin. He's like, yeah, okay. He's like, short accounts. Your goal is to have the shortest amount of time between when you sin and when you repent of it. When you sin and when you ask God for forgiveness. When you sin and when you turn from it. And it can't just be lip service, Dave. That's what he said. It can't just be lip service, Dave. You can't just say it and move forward. He's like, you need to ask yourself, what put me in this position where I sin and see if you can change something? See if you can put yourself in a situation where you'll be more successful in the future. I was like, wow, why hasn't anybody ever told me that? Like, I always like, oh God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Okay, let's forgive and forget. Like, that was my motto. And he was like, you don't have to forget it. You have to, you have to adjust what you're doing. Like, why are you tempted to lie when someone asks you a question? Well, I'm going to be embarrassed by the answer. Well, you need to suck it up and be embarrassed. Really? Like, I don't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> I don't want to be embarrassed by my sin. But isn't that what the community of Christ is for? Like, we're actually supposed to confess our sins to one another. We're actually supposed to live in a way where we're not judging people because of their sin. We're like, you know what? We're sinners too, so let's try to help you. But it doesn't mean we don't adjust things. I think, I think we need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And you know what? John is talking to the priests and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of those days, and he warns them pretty harshly. Like, this is kind of fire and brimstone language here. He's like, guys, like this is, he calls them a brood of vipers. Guys, I can't say in English the cuss word that that is. But it was not. Not like, oh, you guys are dumb. It was like, like they were upset at being called this. Very upset. And if I got up here and said some expletive, some cuss word that was offensive to you and called you that, yeah, that's pretty much what he did here. So he basically cusses them out, tells them to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, warns them of judgment, and he ties in this idea of like, part of it is the presumed that, oh, well, we're, like, we can trace our lineage back to Abraham. Like, we're Jews of Jews. And John's like, that does not matter to God at all. It doesn't matter your heritage. It matters your heart. And that's where we are today, guys. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to be a Jew, Gentile. There's none of that anymore, Jesus. The, the Bible says, listen, there's no Jew. There's no Greek. There's no Hebrew. Like, your heart matters before God. As we keep reading in verse 11, this is John the Baptist speaking. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Again, a confirmation that that was his ministry, confession of sin and repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal so I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. 
Guys, the, the, the desire, the goal of his ministry was to see people repent of their sin because there's, there's real consequences. There are real consequences for people who don't. And he's not just talking to uh, those that are unfaithful, these people living in sin in, in some sort of rebellious... He's talking to Jewish people who were going to synagogue and trying to make sacrifices. He's talking to religious leaders who had given their lives to serving God supposedly. And I think we could be in the same boat. The scriptures call us a royal priesthood of believers. We are a community called by God. And we need to have a heart check on where we are with him. So what was the baptism of John? Like what was this whole thing that he was doing? So it was confessing sins and keeping with repentance. Then when you got baptized by John, you were making this public declaration. The baptism of John was an outward declaration of an inward repentance and a commitment to not continue in the sin you confessed. A commitment saying, I'm going to change this. I am going to walk away from that sin. I'm going to change the direction. And that could be anything. That could be there's like this hierarchy of sins in the church where it's like, this is really bad, but this is not so bad, right? Not in God's eyes. All of it's bad. One sin separates you from God. That's it. And it doesn't have to be a complicated one. It could be a little bit of gossip. It could be a little bit of deception. It could be a little bit of pornography. It could be a little bit of, or I'd say lust, maybe. That's what pornography like generates, right? Guys, like, a little bit of sin. It says a little bit of leaven leavens the loaf. Like, it ruins your relationship with God. And, and this, this idea of John coming, remember, his role was what? To prepare the way. So before Jesus arrives on the scene, before Jesus says, hey, I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to pay the penalty for your sins. Before Jesus does that and rises from the dead to prove that he's God, to prove that he's got hope, to prove that he could save people. Before Jesus does that, John comes and he says, the king is coming. The king is coming. It's going to be unexpected. And with that unexpected, if you don't fear God, if, you don't, if you're not concerned about your spiritual relationship with him, it's going to be a rude awakening, guys. And those that were already corrupt in the religious establishment, he said, it's, it's, more, it's worse for you guys. Like, you guys are in trouble. Going back to the Matthew 3 earlier on in the passage, um, this is what John said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Matthew wrote, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. This is that passage in Isaiah, and we're just going to run through it. It says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This idea of every valley being lifted up. A valley is like a dip in the ground, right? And every, every mountain made low. Uneven ground shall become level, and rough places a plain. I, I, want, I want you to think for a second about the roads here in Quebec. 
And yes, this is a picture of a road in Quebec, one that they fixed multiple times. I need to be honest, in Europe, there are roads constructed by the Romans in Jesus' day that have lasted longer than the roads in Quebec by many, many, like I don't know what changed in road construction since then, but let's be honest, they did it better back then. They actually tried to make roads that would last. Today, like my road, it's, it's Chemin Thomas Woodward. If you ever want to drive it, you're going to be like all over the place. It, they literally patch it every year. It never gets better. Like within a, a few weeks, it's back to having holes everywhere. I don't know what they use, but it like disintegrates in the rain or something. I don't know. But, but you guys understand here in Quebec what it's, how unpleasant it is to ride on a road like this, Right? And, and this ancient tradition, this is something that literally happened with kings when they would travel. So they would be on their way from point A to point B. And obviously, there were some main roads in the Roman Empire that were pretty well kept. But usually, when you were going from point A to point B, you ended up on some roads that were more or less not, not very good. And kings figured this out. And so what they would do is they would commission someone to go ahead of them to prepare the way. And when I say prepare the way, they would be responsible for making the travel for the king as pleasant as possible. So they would go out there and they would get a crew and they would fill in potholes. And they would go out there and they would look at the roads and they would say, you see how it's like wavy? Let's just make it this straight path so he doesn't have to like constantly be swerving back and forth. The fastest way to travel is a straight line. And, and they would come to places where there was a huge elevation, and they would say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to clear this out. We're going to actually make it pretty level so that the king can come through on level ground. And there's parts where it would dip really low, and they would say, you know what, we're going to fill that up with dirt so that, so that there would be no valley here, and, and so that the king could just travel on level ground all the way there to where they were going. And, and this is John the Baptist's ministry, right? To, to level the playing field, if you will. When he says that you need to repent, he wasn't talking to just the lowly. He was talking to the religious leaders. He was talking to the Roman leaders. He, in fact, that's how he ended up dying. He, he confronted the Roman leaders on their sin. And uh, yeah, that didn't go well. He ended up in jail and they ended up beheading him. And, and he, 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 he leveled the playing field before Jesus got there. Jesus didn't have to explain that you're all sinners. John did that for, them, for him. Now, Jesus did. Jesus' first message was the same as John's, repent, for the kingdom of God has come. John would be saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of God has come, I'm here. John's job is to level the playing field, and it is a battle for our hearts. It has been a battle for our hearts from the beginning. I know I can't change myself. I know because when I don't want to sin, I do. Paul says that. He says, the sin that I don't want to do, I do. And the thing that I want to do, I can't do. And, and there's this battle in Romans 6, 7, and 8, if you want to read kind of Paul's journey through this process. The reality is we need a Savior. We need the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives in order to accomplish anything for God's glory. And this battle for our hearts involves us getting real with ourselves and with others. This battle for our hearts is what, see, a lot of times I think we're, we're concerned. And, and this battle for our hearts, guys, it's not just a personal battle. We, we are in a community. And we actually have a responsibility in Scripture to care about how other people in our community are dealing with sin. Like I said earlier, we should be able to confess our sins. 
We should be able to say, you know what, guys? I struggle. I struggle with, with gossip. I just talk bad about people when they're not around. Like, I, I do. I struggle, I struggle with lust. Like, I, I really do. I struggle with being honest with people. And man, for a person who struggles with honesty to tell you that, that is a big step, right? And, and hopefully you have people in this community, in this church, that you can do that with. Ideally, we could do it with all of them. But I know, I know some of us have confessed things and it has burnt us. Some of us got real in our small group and we, we just felt abandoned by the people around us. None of us are perfect. But don't quit on it. Just because it wasn't handled right that one time or just because it didn't go our way that one time, let me tell you, it is, it is a heart-wrenching thing working out your faith with God. But God wants our hearts. He wants us to say, God, I hate the things that you hate. And I want to hate the things that you hate. God, I love the things that you love, and I want to love the things that you love. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, if you do those two things, you've completed the whole law. And let me tell you, those are hard things to do. You see, um, when it comes to dealing with sin in the church, it shouldn't be uh, some religious person looking down their nose at you saying, ha, oh, you guys are terrible. I can't believe you did that thing. That's so embarrassing. Oh, my goodness. Like, the churches sweep things under the rugs. It shouldn't be that way. It should be like a spiritual intervention. Have you guys ever seen an intervention or been a part of one? I haven't been part of many, but I've definitely seen them uh, or heard about situations where, like, a family will get together and sit down with somebody and say, listen, this thing that's happening it's going to destroy you. This thing that you're doing, like, we, we are coming together to united. We just want to tell you, like, this should change. Because we care about you. I've seen it done with alcohol, where someone's just like, they, they, don't, they don't handle alcohol well. And they become mean when they drink. And, and they're destructive. And they're hurting relationships and hurting the people around them. And they're having trouble keeping a job. And, and a family sits down with them and says, hey, like, you got to stop drinking. You just got to stop. Like, like you, you need to get in a program. You need to get some rehab, something. Like, this thing that you're doing is so, so destructive. It's ruining you. It's ruining the lives of your friends. People who care about you are getting pushed away. Like, you're doing damage. Let me help you change. Let us help you. This isn't one person, like all of us together as a community are saying, come on, let's, let's figure this out. Not because we're better than you, nah. But because we care, like we want to help. In certain situations, like people, people don't want to hear it. Even in the church. Come to saying, hey man, that sounded a lot like gossip, that thing you said. It's like, whatever, man. Oh, man, hey, I, I feel like that was deceptive, that thing you did. Yeah, well, whatever. You really shouldn't be doing that thing, sleeping with your boyfriend or, or looking at pornography or whatever. Oh, you do you, I'll do me. No. Like, we should be able to come alongside of each other and be real with the gospel 
and be real with the fact that God calls us to change, to repent, to turn from these things and say, Lord, I want to love what you love. In Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. This should be the starting point for everyone in this room is asking yourself, do I believe this? Have I confessed that Jesus is my Lord? He's the authority. I submit to him. See, that's what this is really all about, right? When it comes to sin and when it comes to God, like we need to choose to submit to sin or to submit to God. And I know submission is one of those words, man, and it's been abused in the church. I'm not trying to go down that road. Like, listen, like we have to choose between, am I going to serve God or am I going to serve my sin? It says in the scriptures that, that the problem is that people love their sin more than God. And I'll be honest, I've been guilty of that. I'm sure of it. I have loved sin more than God. I say that from up here so that you can ask yourself that honest question in your heart. Is that where you're at? If so, you need to repent. Maybe someone's in this room. I know we have visitors, and I know I I have not talked to each of you individually, but maybe someone here has said, Dave, I don't believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Let me tell you, I, I encourage you to consider it. There's quite a bit of evidence. It's a pretty scientifically proven thing that Jesus lived historically, that he died that people couldn't explain what happened, that his body disappeared, and that hundreds of witnesses said they saw him alive after the fact. But beyond that, it's just the fact that he changes lives today. The evidence you see in the lives of people who have come to know Jesus as their personal Savior is evidence. Look at the scriptures and see what they say about Jesus. And ask yourself what you believe about him. So what? Yeah, in honor of Daniel, I did this. This is not what I would normally have said, but so what? So what are we supposed to do with John the Baptist? What are we supposed to do with this message? What are we supposed to do? Well, I think, I think the first thing is we should be changed by the message of John the Baptist. The first question you need to ask, and it's just what I hit on a second ago, is have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Have you decided to put an all-in on Jesus? I believe I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he paid the penalty for my sins. I believe that in trusting him, I could have eternal life with him in heaven forever. Do you believe that? That's the first question you'd be asking. If not, let me tell you, I would love to talk to you after service. I will be down here in front. I will answer questions. I will open the scriptures with you. I will point you to places where you could read. You can come to your own decisions. But let me tell you, if you start down that jersey, it's it's a crazy jersey. journey. Let me tell you, it's changed my life. Second thing is, as a believer, are you keeping with repentance? And let me tell you, I know that's hard. I know that keeping repentance is a difficult thing. But let's get real for a second. Sometimes we're not doing so hot. And maybe you need to go to some people in this church and ask for help. Or maybe you just need to start making some New Year's resolutions for how you're going to deal with it. Maybe you need to adapt your plan. Maybe you need to make some changes. The second thing with the so what is, we need to be bold like John the Baptist. John the Baptist brought his message to everybody. He called out the religious leaders. He literally went to his Roman leaders and, and called out sin in their lives. He talked to everybody and anybody who came to hear this message that they needed to repent, confess their sins, and deal with God. So my question is, have you shared the good news of Jesus with someone this season? I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty. 
But this is part of our role. We kind of have the job of John the Baptist to call people. The king is coming back, isn't he? And this time he is coming. He is coming to judge. That's what it says in the scriptures. He came that first time to offer the sin sacrifice. Now he's coming back to say, hey, guys, you've had plenty of time to make a decision about what I did for you. I paid the price and you chose not to accept it. When he comes back, that's going to be the conversations people have with him. I never knew you. You never turned to me. You never repented. You never confessed. You never came to me. I would have saved you, but it's too late now. We need to get out there and share the gospel. Who do you know who needs to hear the message, and will you tell them? I want to encourage you all to consider these things, this, this role of John the Baptist this season, and I pray that as New Year's comes this evening, you guys might make some New Year's resolutions to, to step out for God uh, this coming year. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you, I want to thank you just for all that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for John the Baptist. Thank you for the many things uh, that you say about him in Scripture. And I just pray that this challenge to uh, look at our own hearts and repent and confess our sins and, and turn back to you if we're struggling, Lord, uh, would be real in the lives of people. That if someone doesn't know you as their personal Savior, that tonight, today, they might make that decision and put their faith and trust in you, Lord. And that we as a church would be bold this season with who you are, unapologetically claiming that you rose from the dead to save us from sins, that your love is there and, and your hands, your arms are open waiting for people to come to you and, and that you don't force them to do it. And I pray you help us to be faithful to stepping out in that way, even when it gets hard, even when it's rejected, even when uh, we know that you have to work in their hearts, Lord. I just pray with all of my heart that we would be faithfully bold with your message, the gospel. We trust you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.